Well, amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1 this morning. Mark chapter 1. And for, um, as, as the Lord wills it, um, we want to study Mark uh, chapters 1 through 8 here for the next couple of months. So we're going to be hanging out in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. And it's great to be back. And... Uh, Again, appreciate you. I also want to thank uh, Doug Chamberlain, Mark Friday, our speakers, Team Challenge, uh, and the Rumbolts and their mission to Slovakia and, and just their, their great heart. Just wonderful. And uh, I know you were blessed by that. Mark chapter 1. And let me read the first, first eight verses of Mark chapter 1. And what I want you to be looking for as I want you to be looking for the theme of wilderness and desert. Think about wilderness and desert, man. It's hot, your lips are chapped, it's wind and heat and sweat and all those things. Think about the desert and the wilderness. And look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So let me introduce this series. This is where we're going to start, Mark chapter 1. And what I'm thinking about with the gospel of Mark is its emphasis. And the emphasis of, of the gospel of Mark is discipleship. It's discipleship. Now the question is, what is a disciple? And the word disciple, it, it's not to be confused with a program. It's really a relationship with Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a synonym for being a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. That we love Jesus, that, we, that we've been saved by Jesus, by grace and by his work on the cross. That we're concerned with his word. We're concerned with his way of life. Um, and so discipleship is just being in relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ in our daily life. So don't confuse it with like a church program. Like, oh, we got like a discipleship program. No, discipleship is about your relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, the big idea for the whole series, and this is, this is a little cheesy, but it's going to help us as we go through this. But discipleship is not about perfection it's about direction. Understand that. Discipleship is not about perfection. It's about direction. It's not a question of are you perfect today? Or do you have it all together today? It's about is the course of your life moving towards Jesus and the life that Jesus has for you? That's discipleship. In a fallen world, 
in a world in rebellion against God, do you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Are you following him? Do you have a relationship? Are you moving in the direction of the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ, discipleship? So discipleship is not about perfection, it's about direction. I think that's very important. The whole Gospel of Mark is moving in a direction of the revelation of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and what that means for us as a church and as followers of Jesus in this world. Discipleship. Now here in Mark chapter 1, the question is, where does discipleship begin? Where does it begin? And discipleship begins in the desert. Discipleship begins in the desert. Now, we all know, and we, we've all experienced in life, that sometimes to become the people that we want to be, we got to go to the places we don't want to go. How many of y'all know that? Now, we Americans, we think that there's a way to like, get everything we want as well as go everywhere we want to go. That's not possible. We have to go to places we don't want to go to become people that we want to become. If you want nice teeth, you got to go to the dentist. I'm sorry, it's true. If you want health, you, you got to get out and ride a bicycle or something. You know, if, if, if you want something and you want to become someone, you have to do something or go places that you don't want to go. And the same is true for relationships. How many of y'all know this? If you want a great relationship with your wives, guys, you're going to have to go places you don't want to go. Yeah, so you guys know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You got to watch some movies you don't necessarily want to watch. Love movies. Romantic comedy movies. You know what I mean? You got to actually like You've Got Mel if you want a good relationship. You know what I mean? I mean, you got to go places. And if you are a father of daughters, you got to go places you don't want to go to have a great relationship with your daughters. One of my, this ended up being one of my favorite memories. I went to an outlet mall while I was on break. You were like, I thought you were studying deep things and fellowshipping with angels. No, I was at outlet malls. This is my life. And I was kind of excited because I was like, man, I'm going to go to Sunglass Hut. I'm going to look at Ray-Bans. You know what I'm saying? And, but the problem is I've got four daughters. And I've got, I've got like a preteen daughter. And there's these stores called Claire's and Justice. How many of y'all know this? Claire's is purple preteen. Justice is pink preteen. And right now the big thing is unicorns. This is a big thing. I walked into Claire's with my daughter, and there was a poster that said, Unicorn Vibes, welcome here. I looked at Audrey, I said, baby, do I have Unicorn Vibes? She says, daddy, we don't believe in unicorns, that's superstition. I was like, oh good, I'm glad we got the doctrine of unicorns down. But here's the thing, we had a great time, because I was willing to go into a place with her, and it's one of my favorite memories of my vacation, because I got to spend time with my daughter. Now here's the thing, here's the point. We want stuff from God. We want him to bless our marriage and want him to lead us and we want him to fill us and we want him to do all these things. We really want God-sized results, but here's the problem. We don't want a relationship with God. And what God is, he loves us too much. He loves us too much to give us God-sized results without a relationship with him. 
He loves us too much to make us think that we can gain the whole world and not deal with our soul. And what he calls you and I to do in our relationship with him is forget about the stuff, forget about the results, forget about the circumstances, and come out in the desert where only he is there and is sufficient. If you want a relationship with God, if you want to become a disciple, you're going to have to go out in the desert because that's where it begins. It doesn't begin in the promised land. It doesn't begin with milk and honey. It doesn't, it doesn't begin with all of those things. It, be, it, it begins in our weakness. It begins in our emptiness. It begins in the place where we finally give up on the things and the promises of this world. And we say, you know what? The promises of this world cannot come through for me. But the person of God and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can. This is where discipleship begins. In the desert with John the Baptist and a baptism. This is where it begins. It doesn't begin anywhere else. And don't let the American church and don't let, don't let the prosperity message, don't let any of these other things tell you otherwise. It's when we're, we're done with ourselves, when we're done with the world, when we're done with Satan, when we're done with our sin and, and, we, and, we, and we have nothing left except for empty hands and we go out there and we say to God and we say to Jesus, I got nothing to offer unless you put something in these empty hands. And I'm sick of, I'm sick of tight fisting. I'm sick of fighting for myself. And I'm sick of grabbing all the false blessings of the world and walking around and doing this. I am now coming and I'm ready to open up and say, if you don't do this, God, it's not going to happen. That's the desert. Discipleship begins in the desert, not the promised land. We see this. We see this. Mark chapter 1, it says in verse 1, I love verse 1, love verse 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Really, that means the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's telling us about this person. He's Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. He's the Christ, which is his title. He's the anointed, the special agent of God's salvation for fallen human beings. He's the Christ, the Messiah. He's the son of God. That means he's divine. He's not only human, he's divine. He, he's eternally existed with the father because he has the same divine nature as the father. That's why he's called the son of God. Jesus is God. Don't be vague about God. God is not some vague person. He is explained in the person of Jesus Christ. And we go, well, where does this begin? How do I begin to have a relationship with the son of God? Where's the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ? And Mark is telling us that these first 15 verses in chapter 1 is where it starts. We would think that the place where we would meet Jesus would be in a palace and he'd be wearing war boots and a big old cape like Caesar and, you know, he'd be all studded out. You know what I'm saying? We, we would think that where we would be united with Jesus would be in this incredible place where you would expect to meet God, a cathedral. A mosque, a synagogue, a, a beautiful church building. But we don't meet God there. We don't meet God in cathedrals or beautiful church buildings or mosques or synagogues. We meet God wearing sandals in the sand. We meet God in the dust and the dirt of our life. Here is God. This is what he's like. He's going to meet us out in our nothingness, in our emptiness. 
And here we are, human beings, trying to, trying to seek after God in beautiful places and trying to, in our beautiful works and our beautiful performance with our beautiful cars and our beautiful houses and our middle-class values and all these things. And we say, well, God must be impressed with me. And there's God all the time. He wasn't in any of that. He's in the desert. He's wearing sandals. The Son of God is wearing sandals. And he's about to meet us in the desert. This is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't be surprised that this is where we meet God. Because in verses 2 and 3, it was prophesied. Look at verse 2. As it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord Make his path straight. This is actually a combination of prophecies from the Old Testament. It's interesting to note that Mark was written by a guy by the name of John Mark. He wrote to Christians uh, living in Rome during the, during the, the per- persecution of Nero. And most of them were Gentiles. They were unfamiliar with Jewish customs. So even though he's combining uh, uh, two prophecies, one from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, the other one from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, these Gentile audiences probably heard about Isaiah, but they might not be as familiar with Malachi. And Isaiah was kind of like the leader of all the prophets in the Bible. And so he's summarizing Isaiah's prophecies that happened nearly 600 years before the life of Christ. And what did these prophecies say? They said human beings have sinned and rebelled against God. That human beings are running from God as fast as they can. And the only way back is if human beings prepare, where? Where do we prepare to meet God, the Messiah? In the wilderness. Prepare straight paths, not in your church buildings, not in your good works, not in your religiosity. Prepare straight paths in the wilderness of your sin. Prepare for the Messiah in your weakness, not in your strengths. This is no surprise. Christianity didn't just pop up because there was a couple of dynamic preachers named John and Jesus, and they changed the Jewish world. This was always the plan of God. It wasn't a conspiracy, it was a promise. It wasn't manipulation, it was God's faithfulness. He said, this is what's going to happen. If you're going to meet the Messiah and my agent to save your life and to reconcile you to God and have a relationship with God, it's going to happen in the wilderness. And there's going to be a prophet, he's going to prepare you by saying, I love John, I wish my ministry... Where John, well, my ministry, our ministry is kind of like John the Baptist because the message of John the Baptist is repent, prepare, put your hands down, put your arms down, put your weapons down that you've been using on the enemy's side and come to God with an open heart. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path so he can come right into your life. We see that he has this ministry, John, this prophesied figure who would prepare the world for the Messiah. Look at verse 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, this is not a TV preacher. Can I get an amen? 
I mean, this guy, he is not trying to impress anybody. All he's trying to do is reduplicate the ministry of Elijah. He wears clothes like Elijah. He's got camel clothes. He's, he's eating honey that you don't get at the grocery store in one of those little bears. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like he's getting his honey under rocks. He's getting his honey from like little, little trees out in the wilderness. And he's just eating that. And he's just like, I got one job. And my job is to ask people to confess their sins, to repent, to change the whole course of their life so that they're ready to meet God in Jesus Christ. What does it mean when we say that discipleship begins in the desert? It means to acknowledge your sin. Which is why many people never meet God. Sin means being in rebellion against God, running from God. Sin is a very specific word about our relationship with God. It literally means, I mean, if we were going to be technical, sin means missing the mark. God has a mark of human boundaries and flourishing. He has, it's best summarized in the Ten Commandments. And those are best summarized by the great commandment to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. And everyone has missed that mark. But underneath, it's not, just, it's not just breaking rules or crossing moral boundaries. It's what those symptoms point to because the real heart of sin is that we have failed to trust God with our affections and our lives. Many of us were parents of kids and they're growing up and you get kids in your life and and you tell them things like don't do it this way trust daddy now of course I have pastor's kids so they're perfect they're just beautiful and just float around but if my kids were normal here's the thing here's what my kids do they they at some point in time inevitably they break the rules and they disobey daddy and you know, I had no idea that as a dad, that there's something deeper going on in my own heart when that happens. Not only am I concerned for their safety, but I realized that in those moments, they didn't trust me. They didn't love me. They weren't in fellowship with me. That's why in the Old Testament, when God talks about human failure, he's not technical. He's very relational, dramatic, dramatic. You've had an affair. You've committed adultery with other gods. You've, you've broken the covenant. I'm going to divorce you, God says. You've been unfaithful. He compares it to marriage. Because the problem of sin and what we're really confessing is not just specific actions that we've broken his law. What we're confessing is the real heart of the matter. God, I didn't trust you. My affections didn't rise to you to trust you about what life is and what flourishing really looks like. I failed to realize that if I sin, I'm not moving in a direction of flourishing as a human being. I'm moving away from you. Therefore, I'm moving away from life. Therefore, the wages of sin is death. That's the problem with sin. It's a broken relationship. And these people are being called by John to come out into the wilderness of their sin and to acknowledge that. Not to fix it. Not, not, to, not to somehow, you know, self-rehabilitate, but just to come before God and to say, I did it. I don't know what to do, but this is the truth about me. Amen. I'm running from you. I don't know what to do. That's the wilderness. You want to put me in water? Put me in water. I don't know. 
If you, if you want to you dunk me like a Baptist, hallelujah. But I'm broken. I have run from you. And, and the problems of my life have been because of my sin. In fact, the problems of this world is because this world is trying to live for God-sized results without God. That's all it is. It's worlds and cultures being built as if God doesn't exist. That's all it is. And all the progress and prosperity and peace that human beings get, they gain the whole world in the best case scenario. They have great politics or whatever, and yet they lose their soul because they don't have the life of God in their soul. That's my story. I didn't have God in my soul. I didn't have God. I was trying to be my own God. And I began my relationship with Jesus in this brokenness. And it is convicting and it is difficult and it is offensive to our human pride. But the moment that we're willing to do that, God will meet us there. He will meet you in the waters of your baptism. He will meet you in the desert of your emptiness. He will meet and love you there even when we don't deserve it. These people are flocking out to John the Baptist, this weird prophet wearing weird clothes and eating weird, weird food because the Spirit put it on the heart of the people. I don't care what the preacher looks like. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah, right? My girl, after I shaved, my girls told me I look like Shrek. And I went, isn't, isn't he an ogre? I, I thought... No, the, 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 the human Shrek without the ears and the earwax. No, he's, I was like, he's still funky look anyways. That's, beloved, listen to me. Whether you're a contributor to Christianity as a follower or you're curious about what Christianity is, it starts here. This is where new life starts. This is your new beginning. The end of yourself because as much as God loves you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you're made in his image and God's got great plans for your life, as much as all of that is true, there are parts of us that God cannot use, especially sin. And, and discipleship is, is not only begins here, but when we see sin in our life as disciples, man, we are confessing it, we're turning from it, we're repenting, we're changing our mind, we're saying, whoa, man, I crossed the line there. I need to get my heart right with God. And because it's about relationship, when I'm sinning or when I'm having a cultivating an attitude that's anti-God, I really try to go to the heart issue. Why would I, why do I have this, this bitterness? Why, why do I have this jealousy? Why am I coveting somebody's motorcycle? What, 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 what's going on with my relationship with God? Because it's not about coveting motorcycles or being envious. It's about something's, Something's happening in my relationship with God. Discipleship begins in the desert. Hmm. He goes on to say here, I love verses 7 and 8. He preached, John's preaching in this desert church. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, all this outward desert and water and locust and wild honey, all this outward stuff is merely a picture of an inward thing that God is doing. We don't have to go to Arizona or Nevada to find God, amen? It's just a picture. John is saying, just because you're baptized in the Jordan River doesn't mean you're going to be made right. You're just saying, I need this spiritually. Because what Jesus comes in our life to do is to give us the living waters of the Holy Spirit. To give us the living waters of the invisible presence of God. What Jesus comes to do is to do something inward that we are only picturing outwardly in this baptism of John. Now, John, John's baptism is different than Christian baptism because Christian baptism is I believed in Jesus and I want to show outwardly what's happened in my heart inwardly. John's baptism was I need something to happen inwardly that I'm picturing outwardly with this baptism, but you see the similarities. This is a good application. We've got baptism happening next week. Come to those baptisms. Because what we are going to picture with our baptism candidates is we're going to picture something that's happened in their heart with an outward rite of baptism. We are going to picture the gospel outwardly because by faith in Jesus Christ, people have been cleansed and forgiven of their sins. And maybe you're a believer, but you haven't been baptized yet. Man, get a hold of me after the service and we'll do it because it's a wonderful thing to show outwardly what we believe Jesus has done inwardly. Because inwardly, I was, a, I was a spiritual wasteland and Jesus gave me the water of God. Jesus gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit as I believed in him. You see, discipleship begins in the desert. That is my spiritual need for spiritual renewal that the Son of God came into this world to give to me. I love that. Now, here's the surprising thing. We say, well, now, wait a minute. So what you're saying is, is that if we go and we repent and we believe in Jesus, that we get the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who is the person of God who empowers us. How can the Holy Spirit dwell in unholy people? Great question. Look at verse 9. Here's Jesus meeting us in the desert. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now this is strange. Jesus, son of God, coming out into the wilderness and being baptized. Why would Jesus be baptized in the baptism of repentance? This baptism of John the Baptist is clearly for sinners. This is clearly for unholy people. This is clearly for people who don't deserve God. And here's the Son of God being baptized by John. We go, why is this happening? And the reason why is because baptism is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And the reason why Jesus came into the world was to identify with our sin and ultimately to absorb our failure on the cross. Can I get an amen? And he was buried and he came up to life. In other words, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is showing, I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you in my substitution. 
I came to take your failure, to absorb your pain and sorrows, to absorb all your sicknesses and abuse, and I came to die in your place to be buried and to defeat death on the third day. That's why he's being baptized. He is joining us in the waters of our sin without becoming sinful. And what happens? The whole Trinity is here. It's a party. Father, Son, Holy Spirit's all here acknowledging this very moment. The dove comes on him like as the Holy Spirit so that he can give us the Holy Spirit so he can be empowered as a man in his ministry. And the Father, Son, and the Father says to the Son, this is my Son. This is where my pleasure resides. You want to be assured that God loves you and is pleased with you? Be united to Jesus by faith because he is the temple He's the church. He's the place of reconciliation. And as we believe in him, the father says, that is the circle that I love. That's where my love is experienced. I love my son. I love him. And what it shows us, can I just say, I think I've got enough time. Remember, I'm rusty. It's been a while. I don't know what to do with my hands. But what it tells us, what this tells us, when the, when the father says, this is my son, you are my son, With you I am well pleased, what it tells us is what God is like. What God is like is he's a servant. What God is like is he's generous. It's not just the person, it's the work of Jesus that he's pleased with because God is a giving God. Religious gods take The gods of mythology take. The gods of modern mythology take. They take your money. They tell you what to think and what to say so that they can control. It's all about power. The gods of our world, the false gods and idols are always takers. But the one true God in Jesus Christ is a giver. He loves serving. He he is glorified when he gives himself. And that's so important because I feel like our affections are ignited and gripped with impression. We see that God is a giving God. That God is a serving God. The Father said, this is what I love. I love giving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, discipleship begins in the desert of our sin and our need for the Savior. It begins here. But not only is sin our enemy, Satan is our enemy as well. And look at verse 12. Now next week, when we do baptisms, we're going to have a party afterwards and we're going to eat food. Some of y'all are going to bring sides. Amen? You bring sides. <laughs> you will bring the meat, we'll grill it. And there's going to be drinks. Non-alcoholic, very moderate. And what's going to happen is people are going to be baptized and they're going to come up and then we're going to celebrate, rightly so. We're going to hug them and high-five them and we're going to, have, we're going to, we're going to cry, and we're going to laugh and it's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. And then we're going to have food and drinks. What happens to Jesus after he gets baptized? The Spirit drives him out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Look at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness 
And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and angels were ministering to him. This is incredible. And I got to tell you that as we go through the Gospel of Mark, what you're going to find out is, is that it is one of the greatest books on spiritual warfare you will ever read. I call it the spiritual warfare gospel because more than all the other gospels, demonic powers and spiritual warfare are talked about and Jesus confronts these invisible powers of darkness that are at work attacking you and I and attacking all people. And what Jesus came to do is he came to confront and bring an offensive against Satan and all of his powers of darkness. Because Satan has a vast empire of administration. Satan has a vast empire that's working in culture and that's working in our lives and, and is, is trying to divide us. And the ultimate goal of Satan, the ultimate goal of Satan is to separate you from God and from the people he's given you to love. In fact, what Satan does is his only goal is that if you are running from God, whether in prosperity or religion or rebellion or drugs, or it doesn't matter. As long as you're running from God and you're unable to love the people God has given you and you're unable to be loved by people, that is a sign of satanic attack. Because if you study Satan and, and the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the Gospels, you find out that all Satan wanted Jesus to do was to get off the Father's game plan. I'll give you the empires of the world. I'll let you turn rocks into bread because you're hungry. I'll give you everything. And Jesus refuses this temptation and defeats Satan in the wilderness so that you and I can defeat Satan in our lives. In fact... In 1 John, it says that one of the purposes of Jesus, the Son of God, is to destroy the works of Satan. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, where John says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is where discipleship begins. When we begin to realize that we have an invisible enemy that we do not have strength to overcome and that we need the Savior to deliver us from the works of Satan. Because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And when Jesus comes into your life, demons must leave your life. Don't, now listen, we're Americans, so I get it. We think of Satan and we think of Hollywood and rattling and heads turning. Man, Satan is in every neighborhood, no matter how nice. Demonic forces are in every school, no matter how good. Satan's been doing this for a very long time. He's a deceiver. He's a thief. He can steal time from us. I've been, you know, Sharon and I were talking about this. It, it seems like every time we go out on a date night, because we like to date. Can I get a hallelujah? We date. But it seems like every time we're going out on a date, man, we're tempted to, to like fight over like the smallest things. Are we the only ones, by the way? Like, like, man, this is our date night. Why are we arguing about, I don't know. We're arguing about little things. No big fights or anything. I mean, I'm not disqualified from ministry. But, you know, you should, you're like, woof. It's like it's date night. Next thing you know, two hours have been stolen from your life over nothing. 
You know what that's called? Spiritual warfare. Because God doesn't want me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And, and, or Satan doesn't want me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And Satan doesn't want my wife to respect me as her husband. And, and so there's this big thing going on because he's a divider. He's a thief. He's a murderer. And he wants to keep you from God. Man, do not underestimate the power of darkness. But do not underestimate Jesus' power to push back the darkness. There's no magic formulas to overcome Satan. There's no like, you know, hocus pocus, like you got to say the exact right prayer. The only thing to do is say, Jesus, you're stronger. I surrender the battle to you. May your word fill me. Help me, Holy Spirit, because Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. This is where discipleship begins. In the desert of our spiritual warfare. And we're going to learn a lot about spiritual warfare as we go through the gospel of Mark. And let me finish up the, the text. Go to verse 14. I, I love verse 14. By the way, it's significant to say, let me say this. Adam and Eve were tempted by the same serpent in the garden, a perfect environment. And they ran from God. They gave in to temptation in the perfect home, in a garden. Jesus is perfectly obedient, overcomes temptation in the worst environment. Wild animals and desert. All the more reason to give him our confidence and our allegiance and our faith. All right, verse 14. I don't know why I did that. I'm rusty. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, so if you read the other Gospels, John the Baptist is arrested by King Herod. Um, and after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And I, I like that little detail about John being arrested because Mark has written to Christians living in Rome, mostly Gentiles. They're just beginning to learn the Christian message. They're just beginning to get a grip on the Bible and prophecies. They're just beginning to get a grip and they're going through persecution and Christians are being arrested in Rome. And what we're tempted to do when Christians start getting treated badly or what we're tempted to do when, when the Christian message begins to get imprisoned, we're tempted to drift from the confidence of our faith. And what Mark is saying to Christians is, in the very moment when Christians are getting arrested, that might be the greatest moment when God's going to demonstrate his power. That could be a time of revival. That could be a, a time when God really manifests himself in a special way. In other words, do not evaluate God's blessings based upon circumstances, but based upon the character of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the work of Jesus. It's when the greatest preacher who ever lived got arrested that Jesus began to preach his message and the kingdom began to save people and heal people and reconcile people to, to God. We cannot base our faith or the confidence of our faith on how well it's received or if it's popular or powerful or influential. We base our faith on the person and the work and the words of Jesus alone. We will follow Jesus. It doesn't matter. They come and arrest us, take away our buildings and our screens. It doesn't matter. We have Jesus. 
We are followers of Jesus. We, we have a relationship with Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. And Jesus says, I love this, the time is fulfilled. It doesn't seem like it's fulfilled. Seems like Rome is in charge. It seems like Nero's in charge. It seems like everybody else is in charge except for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The sovereign rule of God, it's here in me. It's so close. It's at hand. Like an like a airlift helicopter just right there waiting for you. You just take a hold of that thing and he'll just take you up into his love. How high is the love of God? He'll just take you up and deliver you from this world. So your heart is liberated. It's at hand, man. It's right here in your desert. It's right here when you had nothing else, man. It's at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus is the good news. There's society and there's culture. And what society has always done and will always do is it will tell you how to think, how to feel, how to respond. Culture will always try to make you think a certain way, say certain things or not say certain things. Culture is always trying to make you what it wants you to be. How you want to respond And the alternative to society is the kingdom, which is a new influence. And Jesus came to give us the influence of the kingdom of God, which is not an accommodation with our current society. It's an alternative. Jesus is an alternative influence to all that we've ever learned about life from society before we met him. Jesus came to deliver us from the domain of darkness to bring us into the influence of the kingdom of God. I was reading on my break, Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 and following, where Paul tells the church, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Everybody say qualified. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Note the words of domain, darkness, That means influence. Before Jesus, we were influenced by darkness and by culture and society. And now Jesus comes. He goes, I'm going to give you a new mind. I'm going to give you a new life and a new influence. Many have spilled so many words on what it means to talk about the kingdom of God. But for our purposes today, here's what the kingdom of God is. It's the influence of God in your life. And as you repent of sin, as you turn from Satan, as you turn from society to be your source of rehabilitation and you come to Jesus Christ, he brings a new influence in your life. Discipleship begins in the desert of your culture and your society and it begins to transform you as saints of light. Where does discipleship begin? In the desert. So how do we respond to this? What, what is our 
What's our response to this message of the beginning of our discipleship? Well, I would just say you could break it up into three categories. Your desert is sin, Satan, and society. And what we evaluate is we evaluate where, where am I running and rebelling against God and repent, Jesus says. Turn from that sin. Where am I being attacked by Satan and turn from that darkness and come back to Jesus? Where am I believing more in what culture says than what Christ says? Repent and come back to the word of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins, repent, surrender your life in your desert, open up your hands and receive from him what only he can give to you, which is new life. If you're not a Christian, it it just means saying, I have nothing to offer God, but I've sinned, I've been running from you, save me and he will save you. It might mean for some of you, you need to be baptized. You've believed in Jesus or you're going to believe in Jesus. You need to let us know and get baptized next week, man. That is a great step to, to demonstrate outwardly where discipleship begins inwardly. Jesus loves you. He came for us. God in sandals in our desert. And he came to make us new creations. Creations are made for purposes and new creations are made for new purposes. And when you come to Jesus, you begin to live for new purposes, to love God and to love people, to be loved by God and to be loved by people, to experience new community and a kingdom influence. Are you a new creation? Have you begun again in Jesus Christ? Have you begun to walk and follow Jesus Christ? You say, I I need more information. That's why we're going to study the Gospel of Mark. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And it goes out like, like water in a dry and thirsty land. And thank you for your word because you show that you're faithful to your promises of prophecy. And you're powerful in your son, Jesus. And this is radical stuff we're studying. This is counterintuitive and in many ways countercultural. But open up our hearts like these people that went out to be baptized by John. Open up our hearts to the one who defeated Satan. Open up our hearts to a new influence that could absolutely change our life. We thank you for this gospel of your love in our weakness. May it continue to define and shape our identity, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.